The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2011 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. On Monday, as we began tracing what the Bible says about the future of the nation of Israel, we trace it up to the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And we noted that according to Revelation 16, verses 12 through 15, when the next to the last judgment of the tribulation period will be unleashed, the Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet will send demons, evil angels throughout the world to persuade all the rulers of all the nations of the world to bring their combined military forces against the nation of Israel in the Middle East, in the Middle East. And then in Zechariah, chapters 12 through 14, we have the same picture presented. The New Testament counterpart, Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, going to the end of the chapter, where John records a preview of the second coming of Christ. He sees Jesus coming down to planet Earth as a warrior to wage war. And so by the end of the tribulation period, every nation without exception are going to come to try to eliminate that nation from the face of the earth. Now, we indicated briefly on Monday, as those nations go across the countryside of Israel, destroying towns and cities and killing men, women, and children, the last two verses of Zechariah 13 indicate that two-thirds of the Jews living in the land at that time will be eliminated. And the one-third remnant left get bottled up in the city of Jerusalem And then all the armies, according to Zechariah 14, come and they completely surround that city. And they're in the process of attacking that city to try to eliminate the remnant of the nation of Israel that is there. Now, Israel's back is now to the wall. And they have no human power upon planet Earth they can appeal to for help. Because every nation has its armies there trying to eliminate them. Interesting thing, in Matthew chapter 23, when it was obvious that Jesus would be rejected by his own people, the people of Israel, he made this statement and he addressed it specifically to Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, that's a reference to the Messiah among the Jews in Bible times. Now, interestingly, we've seen that Satan is instigating armies to come against them. He wants to eliminate them before they can repent of the rebellion against God and accept Jesus, their Messiah and Savior, so that God will not crush him and end his rule over the world system. But if you look at the opening verses of Zechariah 14, God says he plays a role as well in bringing those armies against the nation of Israel there in the Middle East. But God has a different purpose for that. And that is to back the remnant of the nation so tightly into a corner. There's no means of escape from total annihilation unless they cry out to God. And that's what's going to happen. It will finally dawn upon the Jews in their darkest hour. Their only hope of survival is heaven. And they're going to cry out, God! Send us the Blessed One who comes in your name. In other words, send us our Messiah. It's our only hope of survival. And if you were to look 
at Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Guess who appears in response to their cry? Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. God says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they, the one-third rent of Jews left in the city of Jerusalem, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When they cry out for God to send a Messiah, Jesus comes out of heaven with the wounds of a crucifixion still in his resurrection body. And when they see the one who comes out in response to their cry for the Messiah, and they see those wounds that will finally dawn upon them, the very one who was their true Messiah in his first coming, but was rejected by their own people, the people of Israel, is indeed, after all, the true Messiah. They will repent. The word repent means a change of mind. They will radically change their mind from rejecting him as their Messiah and Savior to now gladly receiving him as their Messiah and Savior. And God says, I'm going to pour upon them the spirit of grace of supplications. In response to their repentance, Zechariah 13.1, God opens up to them a fountain of cleansing, and he washes away their sins of rebellion and lack of faith in him and his son, their Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And as soon as that takes place, Zechariah 14, verse 3 says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. This is Armageddon. And if you want to see, as Jesus comes out of heaven, we're told there in chapter 14, his feet will touch down upon the Mount of Olives. And once the people of Israel repent and accept him as their Savior, their Messiah, he goes to war against these forces. And if you want a vivid description of what he does to all the armies and rulers of the nation of the world, read sometime verses 12 through 15 of Zechariah 14. It's not a pleasant picture. He will utterly destroy those that are there at the gates of Jerusalem. In Revelation 19, he has the Antichrist and false prophet removed from the earth and cast into the eternal lake of fire. And then he destroys the political rulers and armies of the nations there at the gates of Jerusalem. Then when you, now that Israel has met the spiritual requirement for the future kingdom of God to come, we read in the very next chapter, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, that now an angel comes from heaven, binds Satan, removes Satan and his rule from the world system, and imprisons him in the abyss for the next 1,000 years, the next 1,000 years. Once the people of Israel meet the spiritual requirement for the kingdom of God to come, Satan is crushed, and he and his rule from the world system are totally removed from planet Earth and imprisoned in the abyss for the next 1,000 years. In fact, there's a, a passage in Isaiah that says that at that time, Evil angels are also going to be imprisoned in the abyss for an extended period of time. I take it together with Satan as his angelic followers in their revolt against God down through the ages of world history. So God allows Israel's worst time 
in order to bring it in back in the right relationship with him. Well then, what's the next thing going to be after that takes place? We notice here uh, in number five in our outline, all the nations coming against Israel. But then the next thing is the second coming. At the second coming of the Lord Jesus, Israel repents of its rebellion against God and gladly accepts him as their Messiah and Savior. But then, uh, as we noted, Zechariah 13.1, God, in response to their repentance, cleanses Israel. And then, as we noted, then in, in number eight, Christ will wage war against all the forces of the nations and their political rulers are at the gates of Jerusalem and eliminates them. But then a very significant thing, number nine, is this. Scattered Jews will be regathered from all the nations around the world. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus in verse 15, talks about the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist will bring about in the middle of the tribulation period. And then he says in verse 21, once that takes place, Antichrist taking his seat in, in the temple in Jerusalem, he says, verse 21, then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time known or ever shall be. He's saying the second half of the tribulation period will be the unparalleled time of trouble in all of world history. And if God had not determined in eternity past to cut that off after three and a half years, if he hadn't determined to do that, all flesh would perish from the earth upon planet earth. Then in verse 29, Jesus talks about the things that will take place immediately after the end of the great tribulation. These are things in conjunction with the second coming, what will take place. First, immediately after the end of the great tribulation, a great cosmic disturbances in the universe. The sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. It doesn't say how long that will go on. And then, after those cosmic disturbances shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. It doesn't say how long that will appear. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and then finally they shall see the Son of Man uh, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's his second coming back to planet earth as the people of Israel repent and then he destroys the godless forces that are there under Satan, Antichrist leadership and everything at the gates of Jerusalem. But then notice what he does after he destroys all those enemies. Verse 31, and he shall send his angels with literally the sound of a great trumpet. The adjective great of the Greek goes with trumpet. He shall send forth his angels with the sound of a great trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other, from one end of heaven to the other. After he gets rid of Satan and Satan's forces, he sends holy angels throughout the world to gather together Jews who are still scattered among the nations. The two-thirds Jews wiped out before are those that were just in the land of Israel but there was still been Jews scattered throughout the nations, and Jesus will send forth his holy angels throughout the world to gather together uh, the, the remnant of Jews throughout the nations to bring them back toward their homeland. Notice it says, he shall send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet, 
they shall gather together as elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Every part of Jesus' statement in verse 31 of Matthew 24 is taken from statements or passages in the Old Testament that relate exclusively to the nation of Israel and no one else. And I want to uh, give you references, and I'm going to read to you for the sake of time uh, what these different passages say. First of all, Jesus said that at his second coming, his angels will gather together his elect. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4, God calls Israel, Israel, my elect, my elect. And that's simply uh, another form of the word translated chosen. Because you know in Deuteronomy 7, 6, Moses said to the people of Israel, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. He's referring here to Israel as the elect of God, the elect of God. Then Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 31, said that when his angels go out to regather the Jews, he shall gather that, they shall gather his elect from the four winds. From the four winds. Interestingly, in Ezekiel chapter 5, and verse 10, Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 10, the period of time when the Babylonian captivity of the Jews was going on. The Jews had become so rebellious that God was using enemy forces to scatter them among the nations. This is what God said to them, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 10. I will execute judgments in you, and the whole remnant of you will I scatter into all the winds, into all the winds. And then years later, years later, in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6, God said to Israel, I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, the four winds of heaven, saying that to the Jews, scatter them from their homeland among the nations because of rebellion against God. Then Jesus went on to say in Matthew 24, 31, in fact, before we do that, let me take you to Isaiah Chapter 11, there's something else significant we need to see in conjunction with this regathering of of the people of Israel. You know, Isaiah chapter 11 is a great messianic passage. In the first five verses, we have a description of the government rule of the Messiah in the future millennial kingdom of God. Then in verses 6 to 9, he talks about how the rule of Messiah is going to affect the animal realm. Once again, all animals will be completely tame and vegetarian in diet. The, the, iron, the lion will eat uh, straw like the ox, and the children will be able to lead around as pets, wolves and bears and lions and leopards and all the rest and not be hurt. That the curse of man's sin, the fall in the Garden of Eden, will be removed from the uh, animal realm. Once again, animals will be completely tame in the millennium. But then we come to verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 11. We read here, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, uh, which uh, shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel 
and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. What he's saying here is when God sets up an ensign, he's going to regather the Jews who are still scattered among the nations. Now, the word translated ensign literally means a banner or a sign. What's the purpose of a banner or a sign? To draw attention uh, to a message or to a person. In this context, the ensign is referring to the Messiah. He said, I'm going to set up the Messiah. And he's going to be like a banner, an ensign, that will draw the attention of the world to God's appointed ruler of all of mankind for the last thousand years of world history. But when he sets him up to be that, he's going to regather the scattered Jews from the nations, from all four directions, back toward their homeland. Then, later in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6, God said this to Israel, I have spread you abroad. Now, in Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to spread you abroad into all the winds. But afterwards, when he did it, Zechariah 2, 6, he says, I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, as the four winds of heaven. Then uh, he sets up the ensign and he gathers together the outcasts of Israel and he says that he regathers them from the four corners of the earth, Isaiah 11, verse 12, as we saw. In Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6, Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6, God also said this to Israel, I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6. Again, all these passages are saying, in the future, when I set up the Messiah as the ensign, the ruler of the world, I'm going to have all my dispersed people of Israel, my elect, regathered from the nations where they're scattered, back toward their homeland. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 24, 31, also said that his angels will gather together his elect uh, from one end of heaven to the other from one end of heaven to the other. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, God told the Jews, when you rebelled against me, I'm going to scatter you uh, all over the place throughout the world. But in verse 5, he says in Deuteronomy 30 verse 5 to the people of Israel, if any of you be driven out unto the utmost parts of heaven, From thence, or from there, will the Lord your God gather you. And from thence will he fetch you, from the uttermost parts of heaven. And Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24, 31, at his second coming, he will regather the people of Israel, even if they've been scattered to the utmost parts of heaven. In other words, really the farthest parts of the earth under the heavens. His people of Israel will be regathered uh, together. Now... Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 31 said, His holy angels at his second coming at the tribulation period will gather together the elect people of Israel with the sound of a great trumpet. With the sound of a great trumpet. In Isaiah chapter 27, Isaiah chapter 27, verses 12 and 13, listen to what it says. Isaiah chapter 27, verses 12 and 13. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river under the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one. O you children of Israel, it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. The great trumpet shall be blown. And they shall come which are ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. God foretelling through the prophet Isaiah, some six to seven hundred years before Jesus was born, that his people of Israel would be regathered from the scattered nations with the blowing, the sound of the great trumpet. And that's what Jesus is referring to here, that at his second coming, after the end of the great tribulation, he's going to send forth his angels to regather his elect people of Israel from the nation of the world with the blowing of the great trumpet, the blowing of the great trumpet. When I did research on this uh, quite a few years ago along these lines, I ran across something very interesting. Jewish people around the world have a prayer book uh, called their daily prayer book. And in that prayer book, one of the prayers that, from what I read, they often read on their New Year's Day says this. Look at it, what it says. Sound the great trumpet for our freedom. Lift up the ensign to gather our exiles and gather us from the four corners of the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who gathers the banished ones of thy people Israel. End of quotation. That prayer is based upon these Old Testament passages that we just looked at. And that's what Jesus was quoting from those Old Testament passages. This is not the rapture of the church. In the whole context here of what's going to do, be done with Israel in conjunction with the second coming of Christ and the great tribulation. And he's saying that when Jesus comes out of heaven at his glorious second coming and he rids the earth of Satan and all of his forces in prisons in the abyss and is ready to set up God's future theocratic kingdom for a thousand years upon planet earth, he's going to send his holy angels throughout the world to gather together all the Jews who are still alive but scattered among the nations and to start bringing them back toward their homeland, back toward their homeland. But there's something else we have to see here. Before he takes them into their homeland, he takes them into a wilderness area for judgment, into a wilderness area for judgment. And this is in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 to 38. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 to 38. He brings the Jews who are still alive, who survived the tribulation, and he brings them back toward the homeland. Before he takes them into the homeland, he takes them into a wilderness area to enter into judgment with them. And the purpose is this. Any Jews who still refuse to accept him as their Messiah and Savior will be eliminated from the earth. And only those who will accept him as their Messiah and Savior will be allowed to stay on the earth to go directly into the future millennial kingdom. You know, Paul in Romans 11 talks about the time when all Israel will be saved. 
What Paul is saying is, the Israel that goes into the millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ at the beginning, all of them will be saved. Not one unsaved Jew will be allowed to stay on the earth to go into their ancient homeland of Israel and be part of the millennial kingdom. Now, I must point out to you, all unsaved Gentiles who are alive at Jesus' second coming are going to be taken from the earth in judgment as well. Every unsaved person, every member of Satan's kingdom that's alive on the earth at Jesus' second coming, if they don't repent and if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will be removed from judgment. Remember what Jesus went on to say here in, in Matthew chapter 24, where he's clearly talking about his second coming at the Great Tribulation. He goes on to say, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. Well, what coming? Well, his second coming he's been talking about here earlier in the chapter. And he goes on to say, As it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. So shall it be when the Son of Man comes. What coming? His second coming. Not the rapture, his second coming. After the end of the great tribulation. And he says, here's how it's going to be. Who were taken from the earth by the flood? The saved or the unsaved? All the unsaved people alive on the earth at the time of the flood were taken from the earth in judgment. Not one unsaved person left on the earth when the flood was over. And all the saved people were alive at the flood, Noah and his family, were left on the earth to go to the next period of world history after the flood. Jesus said, that's exactly the same order it'll be at my second coming after the great tribulation. Every unsaved person that's alive on the earth, whether Jew or Gentile, at my second coming to the planet earth to set up God's kingdom after the tribulation period, every unsaved person who re rejects me as their the Messiah or Savior, are going to be taken from the earth in judgment. Not one unsaved person will be allowed to continue living on the earth to go into the millennial kingdom. And only the saved people, as in Noah's day, will be allowed to remain here on the earth and go into the millennial kingdom together with the Lord Jesus. And so that's why he says that a second coming, you'll have two grinding in the mill. One's taken, the other one's left. Well, the one's taken is the unsaved person taken from the earth in judgment, just as in Noah's day with the flood. And the one left is a saved person. Somebody got saved during the tribulation period and survived alive. They'll be left in the field to go into the kingdom. Same thing with two grinding at a mill. One's taken, the other one's left. The unsaved are taken in judgment from the earth. Not one unsaved person will be allowed to go into the kingdom at the beginning. At the beginning. And that includes the Jewish people. And that's why when Jesus has his holy angels regather the scattered Jews from the nation, whether they're saved or unsaved, back toward their homeland. Before they go in the homeland, he takes them to the wilderness area to enter into judgment with them. And those who still reject him get eliminated from the earth, just as Gentiles who reject him get eliminated from the earth. But those who accept him as their Messiah, as their Savior, they will go with Jesus into the millennial kingdom, and they will come back to their, their homeland, to their homeland. Now, the next thing we have to see about the future of Israel is this. And that is that during the millennial kingdom, the people of Israel will be the spiritual leader of the whole world, will be the spiritual leader of the whole world. 
You might say, well, what about church saints? Well, we're going to return with Christ at his second coming. We've been removed before the tribulation period to heaven. We've been with him in heaven while the tribulation goes on, but we come out of heaven with Jesus at his second coming to planet Earth. But we're going to be politicians in Christ's government. You know, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says to church saints, we shall reign with Christ. Now you and I as church saints will come back as sinlessly perfect individuals. We don't have a sin nature anymore. We cannot sin. Can you imagine a government with all the politicians are sinlessly perfect? They can't sin. They won't be corrupted. Lord, hasten that day. (laughs) How much we desperately need that. We're going to be politicians in Christ's government, helping to administer his rule of God over the world. But God ordained the people of Israel to be the spiritual leaders of the world. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, God has brought the people of Israel out of their slavery from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai. And at Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God revealed to the people of Israel, here's why I brought you as a nation into existence. Two things. You are to be to me a holy nation. Now, the word holy in the Bible literally means divided. To be holy is to be divided from other persons and things. Divided in the sense that you're different, distinct, unique, in contrast with other persons and things. And so what God was saying uh, to the people of Israel, in light of the way the Gentile nations have gone, ever since the Tower of Babel, with false gods and goddesses they made up, they've rejected me as the true and the living God. Israel, I brought you into existence to be different and distinct from those nations, those Gentile nations. And here's one of the ways I intend you to be distinct. He also says in there, you are to be to me a kingdom of priests. Notice the whole nation is to have a priestly spiritual function in the world, to be the spiritual leaders of the world. That's why he brought Israel into existence. You go to Isaiah chapter 43, he says to them, you are to be my witnesses, you people of Israel, to be my witnesses to the pagan Gentile people of the world. And the word witness there means repetition. You are to be repeatedly saying to the Gentiles, there's only one true and living God, only one. The one that brought us out of Egypt and displayed his existence and power through the plagues and parting the waters of the Red Sea. Who can doubt his existence with those incredible things that he was able to do? You're to be my witnesses, Israel. Well, as you know, Israel tragically failed. They began adopting some of the false gods and goddesses of pagan nations around them. That's why God has allowed them to be persecuted over and over again uh, along these lines. But when you go to what the scriptures say about Israel after the second coming of Christ, in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're told there that there's going to be a magnificent temple in Jerusalem during the millennium, and that's where the Messiah will dwell. And we're told that all the nations are going to come to Israel's capital city to be instructed on how God's rule is to be administered over them, but also all the nations are going to come to Israel's capital city, Jerusalem, to worship the Lord. What he's saying is during the millennium, Israel's capital city, Jerusalem, will be both the governmental and spiritual center of the whole world to make an impact upon all the nations of the world. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 6, God speaking to Jews who will be living in the world during the future millennial kingdom. He says to them, you will be called the priests of the Lord and the ministers of our God. 
He's saying that the Gentiles, during uh, Jesus, the, the Messiah's reign upon planet Earth, the Gentiles, the world, will recognize that the people of Israel are God's appointed leaders to be the spiritual leaders of the whole world. That the Gentiles will call the people of Israel the priests of the Lord and the ministers of our God. In, in uh, the prophet Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, we're told that during that future reign of the Messiah upon planet Earth, Gentiles from every nation are going to say to each other, let's go to Jerusalem to pray. Let's go to Jerusalem, in other words, to worship the true and the living God. And as was already pointed out in one of our earlier messages of this, this conference, at that time, ten Gentiles will lay hold of one Jew and say, you take us with you to Jerusalem to pray because we see that God is with you. The Gentiles will recognize the people of Israel are God's appointed spiritual leaders of the whole world during the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus here upon planet Earth. So you see that in spite of some of the most terrible things that Israel still has to go through yet before the second coming, they're going to have a blessed blessed life and ministry upon planet earth during the thousand years of Jesus' reign as the spiritual leaders of all the people of the world. God has ordained it. Again, that's what he told them at Mount Sinai. This is my purpose for bringing into existence. You know, at the Tower of Babel, in fact, secular historians point out the first false religion took place in that area of ancient Babel around the 2500s BC. And that the people there, in rebellion against God's command to separate and populate the entire earth after the flood, he gave that command, they invented a mother goddess that that they called the Queen of Heaven. And archaeologists have uncovered clay tablets in which those pagan Gentiles inscribed their statements of worship toward the mother goddess upon planet earth. I've, I've read translations of them over and over and over again. And it's interesting, after that Tower of Babel experience, beginning with verse 10 of Genesis 11, you have God narrowing down a line of descent to one man by the name of Abram by the end of chapter 11. And in the very next chapter, God begins dealing with that man, and he says, get out of Ur of the Chaldees, over where these pagan religions began, and I'm going to take you to another land, and I will make of you a great nation. Great in size, yes, but even more so, great in significance, because of the key role, role that God raised up this nation to be his spiritual leader of the whole world, and his witnesses To all these pagan Gentile nations, there's only one true and living God. And over and over again, it keeps saying, the God that brought us out of Egypt, the God that brought us out of Egypt, the God that brought us out of Egypt, and displayed his reality. And he has tremendous power to part the waters of the Red Sea. I think God purposely allowed the Jews down there for those 400 years to be enslaved by the Egyptians for several purposes. Number one, to demonstrate to them how cruel and decrepit people who worship false gods and goddesses can become, and how brutal in their religion they can treat other people. 
I think that's why he allowed the pagan Egyptians to enslave the people of Israel so severely. But I think another reason he had them there was to demonstrate that the gods and goddesses of Egypt are a figment of unsaved man's imagination. They're contrary to reality. They are not real gods and goddesses. And so that's why he sent the plagues upon the, the nation of Egypt. And uh, historians claim that every one of those plagues was an attack on one of the false gods or goddesses of the, of the Egyptian people. I think God purposely did that to drive home to these people that he wants to be the spiritual leader of the whole world. Notice all these gods, these people are worshiped, they're false. There's only one true and living God. And notice as I attack these pagan gods and goddesses, they can't do a thing to stop my attacks. They're just a block of wood or a block of stone sitting there. They can't see with eyes. They can't hear with ears. They can't talk. They can't walk. They can't do anything. But look at what I'm able to do here in the world. And then the grand climax of demonstration, he's the only true and living God, is when he parted the waters of the Red Sea for them and let them go over safely to the other side. And then when Pharaoh gave the command for his chariot force to go in, God allowed them to come together again and wipe out that mighty military force of the nation there of Egypt upon planet Earth. So God's, the whole reason he brought the nation of Israel into existence was to be the spiritual leader of the whole world, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, different in contrast with the pagan Gentile nations around them. Around them. So Israel has some terrible experiences waiting for them yet, sad to say. But the reason God, from his perspective, allows these things to happen to them is to back them so tightly into a corner that there'll be no means of escape from total annihilation unless they repent of their rebellion and accept their Messiah and Savior. Because he is determined, he will not end Satan's rule of the world system and restore his kingdom rule to planet Earth until the nation that will be the spiritual leader of the whole world is itself spiritually right with God. Spiritually right with God. Uh, and so it breaks my heart that they're going to have to go through so much to get to that point. But God, that's his intention. That's what he brought them in existence to be. And he's going to deal with them this way so that they will finally fulfill the job for which he brought them in existence to be the spiritually of the whole world. And thankfully, those of us who are church saints, as we've already heard, we've benefited so, benefit so much through the nation of Israel and how God has dealt with them. And he's given to us so much his word, our Savior, and all the rest, so that we can be here upon planet Earth, together with redeemed Israel for the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus, but functioning as servants of God in the political realm, while the people of Israel are functioning as servants of God in the spiritual realm here upon planet Earth. Incredible plan and purpose and program that God has designed for that nation. And thankfully, he's revealed it to us in the scriptures and how he's going to bring that about for his honor and for his glory.